Welcome to Dinosaur George Kids, a show for anyone who loves dinosaurs. Dinosaur George has studied paleontology for over 50 years and has performed live to over 4 million students across the world. So sit back and enjoy today's show. Now, here's Dinosaur George. Oh, get your traveling shoes on. We're going to Argentina in South America today. How's everybody doing? I'm Dinosaur George. It is great that all of my future paleontologists are joining me again. I have so much fun interacting with you and answering your questions. It is really, the podcast is just growing exponentially. And that's because uh, of you, because you're helping spread the word. So if you know somebody that likes dinosaurs or prehistoric life, please make sure and let them know of this podcast, because the more you help us, the better it will become. Need to give a shout out to Holloman Elementary School in Warwick, Rhode Island, who uh, late last week I had the, or I'm sorry, Monday, Monday, just a few days ago, I had the great opportunity to speak to those students again. This is the second time that their PTA association was kind enough to bring me back. So I really enjoyed it a lot. I had a great time. One of the things that I do in some of my virtual lessons is I play a game where I challenge the students and I tell them if they get all the questions right, I have to pay them $50 million. But if they get the questions wrong, they have to pay me $50 million. So this was the second time that I saw this group from Holloman Elementary. And there was a student that wrote and said, hey, where's my $50 million? <laughs> he had remembered. He had remembered I was supposed to pay him each $50 million. Unfortunately, I guess their checks got lost in the mail. What a shame. That's the way the world turns. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, things are going great. We're doing very well. Business is picking up a lot. If any of you, regardless of where you are in the world, if you would like for uh, to like for me to give you a virtual lesson, I've done virtual lessons for people in Germany, for people in uh, South America, in Colombia. I've done a couple in Canada um, and then one in uh, the UK so uh, or in England. So I am absolutely able to do that all over the world. And if you would like to have a lesson, I would certainly love to be invited to come speak to you. All the information about the virtual lessons can be found on my website. All right. Today's feature creature is going to be an amazing dinosaur. It's time for our feature creature segment. If you would like to suggest a creature, go to the Dinosaur George Kids podcast page at dinosaurgeorge.com or post your suggestion on the Dinosaur George Kids Facebook group page. Now, here is your feature creature. I told you we were going to Argentina. The feature creature is Argentinosaurus. This may very well be the largest dinosaur that ever lived. It may be the largest animal that ever walked planet Earth. The size of this dinosaur is simply staggering. It belongs to a group called sauropods. Sauropods are the four-legged, long-neck, 
long-tailed dinosaurs like Diplodocus and Brachiosaurus and Camarasaurus and all of those. Those are sauropods. Argentinosaurus is a member of that group. Remember what I've taught you in the past. Scientists like to put or need to put things into groups. They have to put things into groups because that's how science is done. You take animals that are similar, that have similar traits, and you put them into groups. And that group is called a sauropod group. So within it, there's some smaller groups within it. There's the diplodocids, the um, what else, the titanosaurs. Uh, there's, 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 they get that big group of sauropods and break it down into smaller and smaller groups until you finally get to the individuals. And Argentinosaurus is an individual of the sauropod group. Now, when I say this thing is big, one of the things about estimating size, I've said this before on this podcast, estimating the size of a dinosaur can be very difficult because most of the time, the entire skeleton is not there. Most of the time, the scientists do not have all the bones. So right away, that becomes difficult because you're having to estimate the size of the bones that are missing. And how many bones are missing? What if a dinosaur had 25 tail vertebrae, but um, you found three? Well, do you guess then that there's 22 missing? Or is it possible that there was more than 22 in this dinosaur? Not every dinosaur is built the same. So immediately you can understand the difficulty of estimating the size. So let's say that they find the complete skeleton of a dinosaur from the tip of its nose to the tip of its tail. So you might say, okay, there, now we know exactly how long it is. Well, that's not true either. Because the pieces that hold bones together, like muscles and cartilage, those pieces almost always decompose. They rot. They disappear. When they disappear, we no longer know how thick the cartilage was between each bone. The skeleton doesn't lay there perfectly and nothing ever messes with it. The skeleton can get moved around. It can change. So even if the bones were connected and then the cartilage that was between the bones decomposes, then you might think, okay, well, that left a gap, right? So we still know how long it is. No, that's not true. Because as the animal is is called desiccating, as it's decomposing, those things can begin to shrink. So even though they decompose, they might shrink and pull those bones even closer together. Or what if they swell up because it's underwater and it pushes the bones farther apart? There are so many things that make it almost impossible to know the true size. So scientists all try their best to use the same basic rules. You see, when somebody discovers a new dinosaur, they don't get to just make up whatever they want. They don't get to say, I think my dinosaur is 200 feet long. They don't get to say that. They have to demonstrate that to other scientists. They have to prove to other scientists what they have and that it's worthy of being given a name and the estimate of size has to be, has to be right. One of the things that happens a lot of times, it happened to a dinosaur. I think, it, I think it's called Titanosaurus. That was a big news. It was the biggest thing that ever lived. And then later, they had to go back and say, well, it's not as long as we thought. Here's the problem. It wasn't that scientists necessarily ran out there and said, this is how big it is. 
It's that sometimes when people from the media are interviewing a scientist, they might say, how big do you think that thing could be? And the scientist might say, well, it could have been between 100 and 200 feet long. Well, the only thing that the media heard was 200 feet and they rush right out and they tell everybody that this scientist said it was 200 feet long. And that's not what he or she said necessarily. So the size estimate is difficult, but here is a an average size that a lot of people agree with. Not everybody, but some. They believe it was 120 feet long. Think about that. 120 feet long, standing 48 feet tall. That means that it could look over the top of your home. Unless you live in a five-story building, it could look over the top of your house, over the top of a building. 120 feet long and 48 feet uh, tall? That's insane. And estimates of size are 200,000 pounds. Two elephants generally weigh 6,000 pounds. 200,000 pounds. Do you know that dinosaur was so big, everybody listening to this podcast could probably stand up inside of its heart? Now, I don't mean everybody who hears it altogether. I just mean each one of you as an individual. If you're listening to this podcast, you could stand up inside the heart of Argentinosaurus because its heart was taller than you. Its tongue probably weighed more than your parents combined. This dinosaur weighs 200,000 pounds. It was discovered, of course, in Argentina. Now, it lived in the late Cretaceous between 97 and 93 million years ago. One of the things people love to do is they always compare everything to Tyrannosaurus rex. Well, this dinosaur lived long before T-Rex and died out long before T-Rex. So even if T-Rex went down to South America, or if Argentinosaurus went north to North America, they still wouldn't have run into each other because they were separated by tens of millions of years. Now, its, uh, its main predator was probably Giganotosaurus, or you can pronounce it Giganotosaurus or Giganotosaurus. I don't know if I've said this before, but when people pronounce dinosaur names differently, it doesn't mean that they are right and you are wrong. Most names are in a different language, a language called Latin or Greek. And so there's different ways to pronounce those words. They're like a Caribbean or Caribbean. Both of them are the same thing. They just pronounce differently. Tomato, tomato. They're the same thing. They're just pronounced differently. Argentinosaurus, that's how I pronounce it. Uh, Giganotosaurus, I pronounce it Giganotosaurus. Some people pronounce it Giganotosaurus. But the one thing I don't want you to pronounce it is Gigantosaurus. Because the big meat-eating dinosaur that we're talking about that lived in Argentina is not named Gigantosaurus. It's Giganotosaurus. I'll do a podcast on Giganotosaurus and go into greater detail. But that seems to be one of the dinosaurs. I think Maposaurus, I've got to verify that, but Maposaurus was another big meat-eater, a theropod, who I believe lived at the same time. But I'm going to need to verify that before I go too much into detail about that. Now, I do not believe at all. I don't believe at all that the adults were concerned at all about predators. They're just simply too big. So let's talk about the thing about being big and the problems that come with it. Like, for instance, how did they eat? Now, of course, they're tall enough to reach practically any leaf from any tree, but they probably could not lower their heads down close to the ground and eat. 
I don't think that's the way they were feeding. I think, because I think it would be more of a struggle. If you lower your head and you're eating and you're swallowing, a gravity has an impact on your ability to swallow. You're forcing the food down your throat. Whereas if your head is up in the air and you swallow, that food travels right down the right down the throat and down into the stomach. So I think these things are probably eating at least however their head, however high their head was, that would probably be the key place that they would want to feed. But they, of course, could simply lift their necks up and reach higher up into the trees. But my guess is that they probably fed about at head height so that they didn't have to lower their head. That's my guess. How much did they eat? When you're that big, how much do you have to eat? Well, my guess, they might have eaten a thousand pounds of plants a day. One thousand pounds. That's crazy. That's a lot of food. If any of you have ever been on a ranch or a farm where people raise cows, you know how much hay that they have to feed cows during the winter when there's not enough grass. Cows eat a tremendous amount. And I believe Argentinosaurus was eating up to a thousand pounds. That's crazy. But when you're that big, it takes a lot of food to keep you going. And so they had to. You know what I think? I don't think those animals slept like you and I think of animals sleeping. Like the sun goes down, so they just go to sleep. I honestly believe they continue eating well into the dark. Maybe using their sense of smell to know what's in front of them to eat. Because I don't think they could get enough food in a day, in the daylight. I think they had to eat at least into the dark and before the sun comes up. I think they're eating as soon as they can. I grew up on a, on a farm in a ranch. We had cows. Cows ate at all hours. You could look out there and they'd be out in the field at three o'clock in the morning eating. And so I think these sauropods did. I don't think Argentinosaurus slept laying down. There's no way that dinosaur could lay down and sleep. When it did sleep, I think it just simply stood on all four legs. Horses sleep standing up. Cows sleep standing up. A lot of animals sleep standing up. There's no way Argentinosaurus could ever lay down because it weighed so much, the body weight would simply crush its ribs and prevent it from breathing. It had to sleep standing up. It had to. And so I think they ate, I don't know, 20 hours a day. Their brains are very small. When you sleep, it's not just to give your body a rest. It's actually to give your brain a rest. Your brain is the thing that has to rest and recover. Same with dinosaurs. They had to sleep. But when your brain is smaller and it's not as functional as ours, it doesn't take a lot of rest to rejuvenate that brain. So in my opinion, I'm thinking that they're eating most of their days. Comes another question about being that big. Did they lay eggs or did they have live babies? This is a tough question because nobody's ever found an Argentinosaurus egg. They have found other sauropod eggs. But just because you find eggs from one family group doesn't mean every member of the family does it. Think about this. Think about birds. Does every bird fly? No. There's exceptions to the rules. Think about this. Does every reptile lay eggs? No. There are some snakes that give live birth. So there's exceptions to every rule. Is it possible that Argentinosaurus had a baby the way an elephant would have a baby inside of its body and then kind of sort of squat down and the baby comes out? Is that possible? It's possible. 
I don't know if that's realistic, though, because its hip bones don't appear to be designed for a baby to pass through. They seem to be designed to allow eggs to pass through. So that then asks the question, okay, so let's say that they lay eggs, and they probably did. If they laid eggs, how did the eggs go from way up there in the air (laughs) to the ground without smashing? Were the eggs soft-shelled like a sea turtle's eggs, where they didn't crack when they hit the ground? Or... Like a sea turtle. Sea turtles have like this tube that comes out of their of their body. And when the female lays the eggs, the eggs slide down that tube and then they drop out onto the ground. Maybe Argentinosaurus and other sauropods had one of those retract. They call it retractable because the tube would come down and the eggs would slide out and then the tube would go back up into the body. But because it's made of skin, it doesn't it doesn't fossilize. So scientists don't know if they have them or not. I think it's called an ovum tube. I think that's what it's referred to as an ovum. Uh, ovum, I think, is is a word for egg. I think that's what it's called. Anyway, it, it's certainly possible that that's how they are laying their eggs. That's certainly possible. So then they lay their eggs. Now what happens? Some people believe they laid their eggs and just walked off and left the babies and hope that the babies grow up. I completely disagree with that. There is no way, in my opinion, that any baby dinosaur would have survived without some kind of protection from its parent, probably mostly its mother. It's just not realistic to me. If a a female lays 10 eggs, one theropod that shows up is going to eat the insides of every single egg. That entire group is dead. And we do know from other scientific discoveries, sauropods seem to nest in the same area at the same time in the same place. Sort of like birds do. Birds all migrate to one spot and lay their eggs. A lot of birds do this. They migrate to one spot and they lay their eggs all at the same time together. Well, it appears from the fossil record that sauropods, at least some sauropods did that. So if they're doing that and they're just leaving their babies, then every predator in the world would know to wait for the adults to leave. And then they go out there and just have a big party eating every single egg. That's just not realistic. I believe that the moms took care of the babies. And that the mom would bring food and drop it into the nest until the babies were big enough to start walking on their own. Then I think the babies would follow mom. And if danger approached, I think they would all run under her and hide. And her sheer size would be enough to prevent most theropods from messing with the kids. That's my guess. Could they swim? Could they swim? Is it possible that Argentinosaurus could swim? I think they could. I believe they could. There are fossil footprints of sauropods that were swimming and looking like they were doing the doggy paddle with their front legs paddling and their back legs just floating behind them. If you've ever seen an image of an elephant swimming, that's probably how sauropods swam. Elephants do the doggy paddle. They keep their trunk above the water to breathe while sauropods have the long neck and their body. Yes, they weighed a lot, but I said they weighed 200,000 pounds. And when you think, okay, well, they should sink. Well, how much do you think an aircraft carrier weighs? Probably, uh, you know, I don't know, probably 10 times as much as Argentinosaurus weighed, but they don't sink because of ballast, because of air in the center. Well, think of the size of the lungs of Argentinosaurus. That alone would keep it floating. I believe they swam, and I say that because they had to. All dinosaurs at some point in time are going to have to swim because if there's a flood, you simply can't stand there and wait to drown. If you come to a river that needs to be crossed, you cross it. If you're in search of food, you can't starve on the other side. you got to cross the river. Maybe they even went out into the ocean 
to rid themselves of parasites or to to go out there and eat seaweed, which is nutritious. So I think they I think they could swim. Uh, defense. Let's talk about some of the ways they defended themselves since I talked about defending their young. There's two weapons. One is their feet. If that thing steps on you, you're done. The other, of course, is the tail. It's just so massive. Imagine being hit by a telephone pole, because that's what it would be like to be hit by the tail of one of these dinosaurs. So I think that they either could rear up and use their foot. Maybe they could kick with their foot, or because elephants can kick with their feet. Or maybe they simply use their tail. And here's the last thing. What did they do during hailstorms, hurricanes, and lightning? You ever stopped and thought about that? What, what did they do? How did they handle that? I mean, when animals today, when the threat of bad weather occurs, these animals go up under things, under trees, into brush. Well, when you're as giant as that dinosaur, I guess the only thing it would do is probably stand next to a tree and simply put its head up under the tree to defend its head. Its skin was probably tough enough to survive everything else. Hail probably didn't bother it. Hurricane winds certainly could. It's not going to blow them away necessarily. But that's always been something I've always wondered is how do they handle those things like tornadoes and hail and lightning? Lightning especially. Look, you're the tallest dude around. And lightning will often will will strike the highest thing around. Can you imagine being a gigantic lightning rod? It's a scary notion and makes you wonder how long they could live. You've got predators when they're young. You've got diseases. You have injuries. You have all of those things you have to contend with. So how old could these things get to be? Well, we think that it took about 40 years for the babies to become adult size. 40 years is a long time for animals. So how old could these adults get? They might have lived 100, maybe 120 years old. Because their metabolism is so slow that that would allow them, that would allow them to grow slowly, but for a very long time. That's why turtles last longer than hummingbirds. Okay, when we come back, I'm going to answer a bunch of questions that were submitted to me, and then we will do our Who Would Win fight, and then we will meet one of our Patreon T-Rex members. So let me take a breath and let me catch my voice, and then we will be back in just a moment. Now you can bring Dinosaur George into your classroom, home, or facility anywhere in the world with our virtual lessons. We offer over 15 different topics, including dinosaurs, prehistoric mammals, rocks and minerals, and more. Any age, any location, and any time zone. Visit us at DinosaurGeorge.com. Do you have any questions about dinosaurs? Just ask Dinosaur George. You can post your questions on the Dinosaur George Kids Facebook page or click on the Dinosaur George podcast page at dinosaurgeorge.com. Questions are chosen at random and you can submit as many as you want. And now, here's Dinosaur George. 
All right. This first question comes from Mrs. Whitford's first grade class from Canyon Ridge Elementary in San Antonio. Hello, Miss Whitford. I hope you and your classmates or your students enjoyed the lesson. So here are the le- here's the questions that they sent. One, why does Velociraptor have their toe up? Well, the reason for that is because on a raptor, that curved toe on their foot is their most important weapon. And when they're walking across the ground, they're making sure that it's not touching the ground. Because if it went against a hard dirt or a rock, it would get chipped and broken. So they're keeping it up in the air to make sure that it does not get broken because it's their most important weapon. Question number two, what happens to dinosaur poop? And do you have a picture? I'll do you one better. I actually have dinosaur poop. Now in science, we call dino poop a coprolite. Coprolite is the scientific term. Yes, animals who poo, sometimes that poo turns to stone the same way the bone does. We can tell a lot from coprolites. Scientists can cut it into very thin layers and look at it under a microscope. And sometimes you can see seeds, leaves, so you know what the animal ate. Sometimes you see pieces of bone. But some, most of it would decompose, but once in a while... Who became a coprolite? Okay, third question. Where did dinosaurs come from? Well, dinosaurs started off from a group called archosaurs, which were kind of sort of looked like dinosaurs, but not really. They kind of sort of looked like reptiles, but not really. They were a group of animals that slowly kind of emerged, and they from there evolved into what ultimately became all these different dinosaurs. So they, they came from a group called archosaurs. And the last question, what is your least favorite dinosaur and why? Now, this is an interesting question. I can't, I, I can't say that I dislike any particular dinosaur. It's not that I don't like any dinosaur, but some I don't find as interesting. Like the little ones, like, um, not, the, not the tiny ones. Some of those amaze me. I'm talking more like Heterodontosaurus. Uh, who else? Lesothosaurus. Uh, who are some of the other little fellows? Like the Mimuses, Gallimimus, Stuthiomimus. I'm not. I'm not greatly interested in them. I think they're cool, but I would have to say that just sort of those mid-sized herbivores, I'm just not that excited. Okay, let's go to Sean, age seven from Toronto, Canada. How fast is Argentinosaurus? Whoa, nice <laughs> nice timing, buddy. Nice question. Okay, so Argentinosaurus, how fast? I, I don't know. Maybe Argentinosaurus could have been able to travel at, at, as fast as it wanted to go, Maybe it could travel about 20 to 25 miles an hour. That doesn't seem fast, but you got to remember it's gigantic. It's bigger than a building. So usually it's probably going to walk at about two or three miles an hour, probably average. But maybe it could run if it had to move quickly, like let's say a forest fire or something like that. Maybe it could go as much as 20, maybe even faster than that. Okay, Caden, age 17 from Cobble Hill, British Columbia. Hi, DG. How are you doing? Hey, Caden, I'm doing great. I was just wondering, what did you think about the Allosaurus in Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom? And Happy New Year. Thank you, Caden. That's very kind of you. Happy New Year to you too, my friend. And I hope everything is well uh, there in Cobble Hill. Um, Caden, if I remember correctly, it was only there for a second, right? If that's the right movie. I'm terrible with the names of the movies. I remember being in the theater. And when I saw Allosaurus, I almost stood up and cheered. I went nuts. But he was only there for a second. But I'm like, this is awesome. So if that's the right movie where if I, if, if I remember correctly, it's when those guys were auctioning off the dinosaurs. That's where I think I saw it. I went crazy and I loved it. 
Okay, Andre, age 10, from San Antonio, Texas. Do you know anything about pterodactyls? Yeah, Andre, I know quite a bit about pterosaurs. And and the scientific term, it's better to call them pterosaurs. Pterodactyl is, is sort of the name given to a group of pterosaurs. But I do know quite a bit. Uh, we had them here in Texas since you're from San Antonio. We had them in Texas. We had pteranodon here in Texas. Um, they are related to dinosaurs, but they're not the same thing. They are not birds. They are flying reptiles. They didn't have feathers. They had skin for their wings. And most of their bodies seem to have like a little furry material on it that probably helped them uh, uh, stay warm and maybe even make them waterproof. Most are found along the ocean shorelines and rivers, but not all. Some are found out in the deserts. These animals were very successful. They appeared in the late Triassic and made it all the way to the end of the Cretaceous. Very successful. They were here for a very, very long time, and they were very successful. Okay, Jessica, age 10, from San Antonio. Hi, I'm a kid from Canyon Ridge Elementary. Hey, nice, Jessica. And she said, I didn't get to ask my question during lesson, virtual lesson. The question was, how do you know where to dig for fossils? Jessica, brilliant question. Let me tell you, layers of dirt are like pages of a book. And you have to know what layer of dirt you're standing on so that you know where to look for fossils. Some layers of dirt have way more fossils than others. So we learn, I learned by studying uh, the geological formations, meaning if I go to that hill over there and I look at that white layer in the center, there's going to be fossils. I know to go look there. I don't start digging in my backyard because in my backyard, the layer of dirt I'm standing on isn't old. So I don't have any fossils in it. I have to dig super deep to find fossils. So scientists, geologists, paleontologists all rely on understanding the ages of the layers so that we understand um, so that we understand where to find the fossils. All right. When we come back, we will be doing the who would win. Become a member of the Dinosaur George Patreon Club and join the fun. We offer different club levels, each with their own set of benefits. Private lessons, new discoveries, behind-the-scene access, and much more are all part of being a club member. Visit DinosaurGeorge.com and sign up today. Who would win? What if two different prehistoric creatures fought? Who would win? T-Rex versus a giant wolf? Raptor versus Terror Bird? Spinosaurus versus Triceratops. You choose the animals, and Dinosaur George will size them up and pick a winner. Now, get ready. It's time to find out who would win. All right. Now, remember, for this segment, you have to be a Tyrannosaurus Rex member of Patreon Club to send those in. So here we go. This is from Lauren, who is a new Tyrannosaurus Rex member. Welcome to the group. Lauren wants to know, Indominus Rex versus Tyrannosaurus Rex versus Spinosaurus versus Smilodon. A four-way battle? All right, this is crazy, Lauren. All right, here we go. Indominus Rex is absolutely gigantic and has much more dangerous weapons than either T-Rex or Spinosaurus. So right away, Indominus Rex would eat the Smilodon. He would decide to have a cat burger to get started. So Smilodon is no longer with us. Let us all wish Smilodon the best. Now that leaves three titans in the ring. 
And Dominus looks at Tyrannosaurus and looks at Spinosaurus. Well, Spinosaurus doesn't want this fight. That's not really how he's made. So Spinosaurus just steps back and lets T-Rex and Indominus go at it together. And that they would do. It would be a melee of claws and teeth, snapping, biting, screaming, roaring. These two animals would be absolutely the heavyweight champs duking it out. I think, considering what Indominus Rex was, Indominus Rex is going to be the winner in this particular fight because it's got too many superior weapons over Tyrannosaurus Rex. So now that leaves Spinosaurus. Spinosaurus looks directly in the eyes of Indominus Rex, jumps out of the ring, and runs off and dives into the water and swims away for safety. (laughs) In my opinion, Indominus would be the one that would win in this four-way battle. All right, my little buddy Victor wants to know Titanus versus Quetzalcoatlus. Titanus Walleri, for those of you that don't know, is a big terror bird. And, of course, Quetzalcoatlus is one of the largest pterosaurs. All right, Victor. First of all, Quetzalcoatlus can fly. If it ever gets off the ground, the fight is over and it's going to be gone. But if Titanus can catch it off guard, let's say Quetzalcoatlus is on the ground feeding. If Titanus can come running in and jump with its weight onto the back of Quetzalcoatlus, Quetzalcoatlus is built like a kite. He is not made for battle. It's not made to take on things in a fight. It's made to just eat things that don't fight with it. I think Titanus would so far outclass Quetzalcoatlus. I don't think poor Quetzal would stand any sort of chance at all because Titanus is just simply too heavy duty and too strong. Speaking of that, for any of you who are Raptor or Tyrannosaurus members of Patreon, on January 23rd, 2021, this year, we are doing our next lesson. And that lesson is on the terror birds. So if you would like to learn about Titanus and the other terror birds, make sure to join the Patreon club. That's going to be at four o'clock central time. And it's going to be Saturday, January 23rd. So if you would like to join us for that, I hope you do. But you have to be either a Raptor Club member. That's $5 a month or a Tyrannosaurus member. That's $10 a month. All right, let's keep going. Noah sent me a good one. Coelophysis versus Guanlong. All right. Oh, back to that, Victor. Let me finish this battle. Sorry. Titanus is too much. If he uses that big beak to grab that wing of Quetzalcoatlus, it's going to snap the wing, and Quetzalcoatlus will never be able to get away, and Titanus would wipe him out. All right. Coelophysis and Guanlong. Both interesting dinosaurs, but I think, Noah, Guanlong is way... um way superior in every way, shape, and form. Coelophysis is such a slim and slender animal, I don't think it would be able to survive at all against Guanlong. It's got a narrow mouth with very sharp teeth, but I don't think it could do the same damage. Guanlong, on the other hand, if it grabbed you with its teeth, it's going to do a lot more damage. So in my in, in, uh, in my opinion, Noah, Guanlong takes it all. And then finally, Levi... Uh, who's also a T-Rex member. Levi sends one. Who would win? Dinosaur George versus a Microraptor. Okay, Levi, why are you throwing me in the ring with these killers? Why am I being thrown in there? I'm supposed to be the hero that's standing on the side of the ring screaming. 
You threw me in with a Microraptor. Well, at least you didn't throw me in with a Velociraptor or a Deinonychus or a Utah Raptor. All right. If it's one Microraptor, that thing is going to hurt like crazy. It is going to snap, bite, scratch, and kick with those claws. It is going to be like a little mini tornado. But if I could ever grab it by the back of the neck behind the head, then the fight is over. The fight would absolutely be over because there is nothing it could do. It, it couldn't do anything. I could hold it away from me and it couldn't do anything. So as long as, long as I was able to uh, uh, grab it before it sliced me to shreds, I would have a chance. But again, Levi, thanks a lot for throwing me in the ring with, uh, with a Microraptor. So if you would like the opportunity to send me a who would win question, then you must join the Patreon club. And speaking about, and you must be a T-Rex member, not a Triceratops or a Raptor member, but a T-Rex member. And speaking of T-Rex members, how about we get an opportunity for me to interview one so you get to know who my T-Rex members are. Would you like to be interviewed on a future podcast episode? Well, now you can. Become a Tyrannosaurus member of our Patreon club, and you might be chosen for an interview with Dinosaur George. Visit dinosaurgeorge.com to join the club. And now, let's meet a Tyrannosaurus club member. You know, one of the dreams that so many of you probably have is you want to go dinosaur bone hunting. How cool would it be to go dinosaur bone hunting? Well, I've got an exciting thing to tell you. My guest today, who is a Tyrannosaur member of the Patreon Club, is Owen. Owen has actually gone out and dug for dinosaur bones. Owen, so glad you joined us. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing pretty good. Excellent. So uh, are you married yet? No. <laughs> no. Okay. Well, I'm just checking. How old are you, Owen? I'm 12. Okay, that's, then I'm glad you're not married because you shouldn't rush into it. I waited till I was 13 before I got married, so you should wait that long too. And your yeah. parents will be thrilled I told you that, Owen. 14 <laughs> if my parents are lucky. There you go. <laughs> so, Owen, now yeah. you have a very extensive knowledge of paleontology. When was it in your life that you remembered that you started liking prehistoric life? Probably, I'm going to say about six. Um I had gone to this, um, it's like this dig in Payson and I started liking it there, but when I really kicked interest is when we went to a fossil shop in Fort Bragg, it's called uh, beautiful earth. Right. And I got so amazed by literally everything there. That's exciting that you remember those moments. I, yeah. I got lost in the Smithsonian Institute when I was four because I ran away from my family because I wanted to go back and look at the dinosaurs again. And yeah. I can remember parts of it. I can remember some of them crystal clear, but not all of them. But uh, so I'm glad that you remembered one of the moments. Now, you said, Payson, you live in Arizona, right? Yeah, I live in Scottsdale. Yes. Beautiful. That's an absolute beautiful city. That's exciting. So you knew from a young age that you liked prehistoric life or you liked fossil hunting. Mm -hmm. So then do you have a preference of the things that you like? Do you like dinosaurs better? Do you like prehistoric mammals? Do you like birds, pterosaurs? What is it that you prefer? 
So I would say I prefer dinosaurs more. Uh, the reason why I think I prefer them more is because, you know, at the beginning of when I was learning, I didn't know too much about them. I thought them of them as like giant lizards per se, right. even though they're actually birds. So, and I had always loved animals. So they just kind of, especially reptiles. So they just kind of stuck out to me. Nice. Now, as you've gotten older, of course, you've learned more and more about the different animals. So what about the things like, like Megalania, the giant Komodo dragon, that guy would fit the bill for being both reptile and gigantic, right? Yeah, that definitely would. Also Titanoboa, Sarcosuchus, stuff like that. Nice. Very nice. Nice. So I introduced you as somebody that's got to go, that had the chance to go fossil hunting. Let's talk about some of your fossil hunting experiences. Tell us about them. So um, some of my fossil hunting experiences, actually most of them, were good. I love going on the dig. I found a pachycephalosaur vertebrate, which are pretty rare. Nice. So I got ecstatic when like I found <laughs> it and it wasn't a cow bone. It was that. Yeah. I also found like this um, triceratops crown tooth, which was also really cool. Um, and a piece of Dakota Raptor tooth. But when I found all of those, I thought they were just going to be something simple, like a weird piece of rock that I picked up and thought was, you know, what it actually was, but no, it was a real fossil from a dinosaur. Now, when you were holding it in your hand, did you ever for a moment kind of stop and go, this was a living animal Yeah. that lived millions of years ago and I'm holding it in my hand? Yeah. My arms started to shake out. <laughs> I'm so excited. That's exciting though, right? Yeah. How many people get the chance to look for, now, do you remember the state that you went to go look for those? Where were you? South Dakota. South Dakota. Dakota. Very cool. And so you're out there. Now, somebody obviously took you out to to show you. When you finally realized that what you found was a real fossil, did that really get you excited? Did you start looking at things differently? Because, you know, when you're looking for fossils, sometimes it's the shape or the color that you look for. Not necessarily, you don't don't see a whole skeleton laying there. That's not the way it happens. So once you yeah. found your first piece, did that help you then figure out, okay, now I know where I should be looking and what I should be yeah. looking for? Yeah, that did help me because when I had just got there, I was looking to find something big, like a T-Rex skeleton just of course. there for me. And I kept on pointing things. Is that a dinosaur rib? You know, stuff like that. Right. And eventually when Rob, who was the person who took me out, showed me a piece, I was like, Oh my God. Now I know what to look for. Right. I started finding like one per second. I was, you know, nice. Nice. See, that's exciting. And that's a great lesson for everybody to understand. If people ever get the chance to go fossil hunting, you don't always find first you, you will just hardly ever find a full skeleton. That's just not realistic. And so you're right. When you first walk out, you're looking for giant bones because dinosaurs are big. But then when you start to realize sometimes you just find a tooth or half of a bone or part of a rib. And so you learn very quickly, which is exciting. I will tell you this. I, I took a family out once that hired me to go. And we went to South Dakota as well. And I took them out and I tried to explain to the young, the young boy that was with us that you're not going to find anything gigantic probably. But if you do, that's great. But he couldn't look 
for small things. He only looked for anything that was giant. And if there wasn't a giant rock, I even found a vertebra from a triceratops. Oh, I found it. I, I, Owen, oh, I kept putting it on the ground and asking him to come over and look in that area, hoping that he would see it. And he wouldn't see it. He kept going right past it. And I kept moving it. And his mom saw me and she was laughing. And I kept telling him, look for smaller things, look for shapes. And I finally said, well, look at this by my foot. What is this like? And he, what does this look like? And he goes, I think it's a rock. And he just walked off. <laughs> so, yeah. so I'm glad that you found that. And Pachycephalosaurus, what a cool animal. Mm-hmm. I, I never thought I would have found that. At the beginning, I thought I was going to find something. And then when I got the truth that most people are just going to find turtle stuff and maybe like an Edmontosaur thing. Right. Lucky. I started like really focusing and that's what you really need to do. You need to, if you want to find something, you got to look as hard as you can anywhere and don't look for big stuff. Get on the ground, look for like small things. Um, yeah. We found like fish teeth that were only like a millimeter big. Right. And they were still like crazy, but you know, I didn't expect to find what I found. Well, and that's, and that's exciting. And that's a great piece of advice is, is you don't look for big things. Sometimes you find them. I I, I found one time a jaw with three teeth in it, sticking out of the riverbed. I couldn't believe Alberta source. So I, yeah, so I went nuts, but that's a very rare moment. All the other hundreds of times that I've been sometimes now I will say this. And Rob is a perfect teacher for this. You may find a little piece, but you learn to see if that little piece came from further up on the side of the hill. Maybe Mm -hmm. it washed out. Maybe there's something in the side of the hill and you're only finding a piece that rolled down through erosion. Mm -hmm. And if you didn't go ahead. Okay. The best thing to do in my opinion is once you find something big or even small, look around the area to see if you can find more of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So there you have it. Owen got the opportunity to go dinosaur hunting. How crazy is that? And he comes home with a, with a, uh, Pachycephalosaurus Dakota Raptor. You said as well, that's a big Raptor. Yeah. It's the second largest besides Utah Raptor. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of debate going on Owen, whether or not it was even bigger than people are suspecting. Um, I read something that somebody believed that it was much bigger than they thought it could potentially be bigger than Utah Raptor. But the coolest thing about it is it's late Cretaceous. And yeah. by the late Cretaceous, most Raptors had reduced in size. It's kind of weird because the big ones were mid Cretaceous and then they appeared to kind of drop down in size and go back towards smaller ones. But Dakota Raptor may be an exception of that. I'll have to do a lesson on Dakota Raptor one of these days or a podcast on Dakota Raptor. So now comes the challenging part. You have to pick your favorite prehistoric animal. You do not get to say I like them all because I'll throw you off the interview and you do not get to pick 20. You have to pick one. And this one will be in your permanent record for the rest of your life. So I don't want to put any pressure on you, Owen, but the world is listening. Who is your favorite? It just sounds like, do you want to save the world? No pressure. Exactly. Um, That's exactly it. No pressure, but everybody on planet Earth will hear you. And this is your whole life. There's going to be a day, Owen. You're going to go apply for a job and somebody's going to go, wait a minute. Are you the Owen that said your favorite dinosaur was this? Because I hate that dinosaur, you don't get the job. Now that you have no pressure, who is your favorite prehistoric animal? Until I hopefully find a new species of dinosaur, 
Carcharodontosaurus saharicus is probably my number one. That is a brilliant choice. If you tell me it's not the best dinosaur discovered yet, you're wrong. I'm sorry. There, there's, <laughs> it's, there's no, that's no other right answer. That's it. Who, who am I to argue with someone as young as you who does such a good job of arguing? You should become an attorney. I think you'd make a very good lawyer. I think Carcharodontosaurus is spectacular. I will tell you this. Of all the fossils I've ever owned in my life, my biggest regret, Owen, is that I sold my Carcharodontosaurus tooth. Uh-huh. I had the most spectacularly beautiful Carcharodon tooth. And what I liked about it is their teeth, I think, look way cooler than any other theropod. Yeah. You know, they're thin they, and they're sharp. Yeah. They kind of look to me like, you know, Giganotosaurus teeth, which right. can't find because there's only one. Right. So I think they're just a great alternative that you can actually own. Yeah, absolutely. And they're just spectacular. And that's so cool. All right. So you made that choice. Now comes the next one. And this one may not, your answer may not be the same. If you could travel back in time to see one prehistoric animal, you can't interact with it. It can't bother you. But if you got to go back to observe one animal, what would it be? It would have to be something weird. I wouldn't do like Carcharodontosaurus because we can have like a reasonable, um, probably Concavenator. Nice. That looks, looks, it looks like nothing out there. It has the weird ridge back. I would want to see like if there was anything that didn't fossilize or stuff right. like that. A good point. That's a great point because you're right. The skin uh, decomposes. What if it had weird lumpy things all over its head? Like if you've ever seen a picture of a, of a North American Turkey, the males have these bulbous things all over their head. But when that animal dies, that skin doesn't stay. All you see is the skull. Well, if all you saw is the skull, you wouldn't have a clue that they look like that on the outside. So yeah. What could that thing look like? Yeah. That's any dinosaur or pretty much anything that's extinct would be cool to see though. Yeah. But that would be my number one option. Nice. That's very cool. So let me ask you this. Do you like the, um, the Patreon club? Do you enjoy being a member of it? Yes, I do because I learn more every day and every time you post something new and stuff like that. Well, I'm glad I want to tell you though, how proud I am of you of how, um, uh, involved you are. Your hand goes up every single time, every time I ask a question. And I want you to know that there are times that I don't, that I don't always call on you because, number one, I know you, you know the answer. But two, because some of our other um, students are not as, um, excite, not, not as willing to raise their hand. So when they do, I always give them a chance. But I can yeah. tell you that, that you could probably answer, and, and you usually do answer every single question I ask. But what I like about you, Owen, is that you have a very scientific mind. And so that's what I enjoy. So I'm glad you enjoy the Patreon Club because I enjoy having you as a Tyrannosaurus member. So let's talk about museums. Have you ever visited a museum that you enjoyed? Yes, I have. Pretty much any museum I've visited. They're all cool. Um, I like the New York um, Natural History Museum. Yeah. I, I like that they have a lot of variety. Like, I love dinosaurs, but I also love a lot of other things that they're able to display. Right. Uh, there's this Mesa Dinosaur Museum that's pretty cool. It has a bunch of like dinosaur replicas and 
Yeah, they have the little yeah. models, right? The little models of the yeah, animals? Yeah, they have little models. And yes. They actually have this whole, like, giant canyon uh, they built. And there's, like, dinosaur animatronics on it. Nice. Every once in a while, they'll, like, send water down a oh. waterfall. And that's always pretty cool. Well, a guy named Charlie McGrady is a friend of mine. He's the one that made all those sculptures of those animals. Because I think he also did uh, mam- or mastodons and some other stuff as well. <laughs> But that's a good museum. Have you ever been to the museum in Utah called the Museum of Natural History at Thanksgiving Point? No. Get your mom to write that down. The museum, yeah. the museum at Thanksgiving Point. It's in Utah. That, to me, is a must-see museum because it's set up to where as you walk through it, you're kind of traveling back in time. But what I like about it and what made me think about it is when you said about the waterfall. Yeah. They have this long, skinny, uh, it's it's called a uh, sluice, where there's dirt in it, but there's hundreds of little dinosaur toys that are laying everywhere. Well, as the water comes out, it comes out with sand in it, and it's burying the animals. You get to uncover them, and then erosion covers them back again. It's It's a genius thing. It's really cool, but that's the stop you guys have got to make. And one other stop you need to make is a place called San Antonio, Texas. Yeah, so you and your did. family can come by. I even have a room for you. I'll, you can sleep on the couch. Your parents can sleep upstairs. You and your sister can sleep downstairs. But uh, you guys are welcome anytime to come by and come by the studio and see the, the big pieces that I have because that would be a lot of fun. And George, this isn't um, where it's a question I have. Have you ever been to La Brea Tar Pits? Because that's another yeah. I really like. Yeah, that's a great place. When I was filming Jurassic Fight Club, they took us back behind the scenes. I got to go into the collections room. I got to see thousands of skulls and teeth and bones. Drawer after drawer, I just got to pull open a drawer and there would be like a Smilodon tooth. Mm-hmm. I'd pull open another drawer. There'd be cave bear claws. Just, yeah. I mean, uh, short-faced bear claws. But one of the funniest things I learned about La Brea Tar Pits, Owen, this, this is the best. Almost once a week... They have to call the fire department to come out with one of their big, long ladders that they carry and put it out over the tar pits and crawl out on it and pull people out of the tar because people, people that, get in the tar because they it looks like a lake. And these are usually homeless people that want to go take a bath it's because water floats on tar. And so you have no idea that tar is under the water. So when you look at it, it looks like a lake. Did you see it happen or? No, but they tell me it's once a week that happens where somebody will walk out and get stuck and they'll have to call the fire department to rescue them. So the tar pits still work the way they trapped other animals. It's just now they're, but they also find like house cats and birds that they go rescue all the time out of there. But the La Brea tar pits is amazing place because of all the variety of things that have been found in there making the same mistakes that like the wolves and bears and stuff did that's exactly right and while you're there you also have to go to that uh museum there and i think it's los angeles county museum it's another good museum and it's right there near la brea so when you go out there you have to make a trip of it so last question if you get to go fossil hunting again what would be the the thing you would desperately like to find i'm not meaning the whole skeleton of something but if it's a part of something, now, of course, you're going to be digging in South South Dakota. You're going to be digging in Lake Cretaceous, probably. What animal would you like to find a part of? 
I would like to find a part of, I don't know if it's in the same area, but Parasaurolophus. I would uh, like to find a part of that. Yeah. And I'm mad at you for selling that piece because I would have <laughs> oh, liked to buy that. That would have been awesome. Well, you know, New Mexico is where they find Parasaurolophus. So you guys are relatively close being in, in Utah. Yeah. You're relatively close. I mean, being in Utah, being in in Arizona. So you're kind of close. You know, there's another museum, I think, in Prescott that has a Dilophosaurus. Have you ever been up there to see that one? Um, The one in Prescott. No. I think it's in Prescott. I think that's where it is. But they have a talking about the Mesa one again. Well, no, this was this was further north. This was way outside of this was a long drive. It took me about two hours to get there. Um I, I can't remember where it was. But anyway, they had a museum with uh two um Dilophosaurus skeletons. Like real or cast? Uh they're real. Well, they're probably cast, but they were cast off of the specimens they found because they found Dilophosaurus in Arizona. Yeah, I would like to find that if I ever go on a dig. Night. That would be great. Yeah, Parasaurolophus is just amazing. Well, Owen, I am always thrilled to get a chance to teach you. And you know, you and I got to do a bunch of private lessons uh, during the summer, which I found a lot of fun. And uh, you taught me a lot. I should have paid you for the lesson because you actually taught me. So uh, don't ever let your mom know that you should have been making money while you were lecturing to me because she thinks that it was the other way around. And that's hilarious. Yeah. I can't well, believe my mom doesn't know that already. Yeah, I think she does. I think your mom is way smarter. I'm just saying this because I'm hoping she's not listening. But if she is, I guess I'll hear it. She'll call me later this afternoon. I think, I think you're in the clear, George. She's right here, but she can't hear. <laughs> okay. You need to give me some kind of signal, Owen, that tells me she's there. You've got to give me like, give me like the, the, the finger to the mouth going, she's right here. Great. Now she heard everything. I'm doomed. No, no, it's fine. My mom... She can't hear. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you yeah. for making me feel better. Well, I'm wearing oh. invisible headphones because she can't hear. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, Owen, good luck on your next fossil hunting, and I will see you on our next lesson. Owen is a Tyrannosaurus member of Patreon Club who lives in Arizona and loves Carcharodontosaurus. And fortunately, he picked a good dinosaur, so that will not follow him for the rest of his life. Owen, is there anything else you'd like to say to everybody? I would like to say thank you for listening and thank you for interviewing me, George. You got it, buddy. Thank you so much. Well, all right, my friends. I hope you enjoyed meeting Owen. I hope you enjoyed learning about Argentinosaurus. I hope you all learned a lesson not to throw me in the ring when we're battling a who would win because I don't want to be eaten. Until next time, everybody, I hope you are having a great day and a very safe month. And, um... Make sure to take care of yourselves and the people around you. Be kind to everybody. The world is a better place when people are kind. Kids can lead the way for teaching adults what it means to be kind. Until next time, everybody, take care, and I'll see you all soon. listening to Dinosaur George Kids. Join the Dinosaur George Kids Facebook group, become a member of our Patreon club, and check out our website store for cool fossils, rocks, and crystals. Visit dinosaurgeorge.com for details. Until next time, keep digging for knowledge. Yeah.